You guys can have a seat if you're not seated already, and I'm Tabitha Shever. My family and I have been coming to Genesis for 11 years, and um, we're going to open it up with scripture. We're going to read Micah 5, 1 through 15. So if you get out your apps, get out your Bible, if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles at the ends of the rows. These are our gift to you. You can take these home with you, um, whether you don't have a Bible or whether you're just looking for one that's maybe a little easier to read. That is our gift to you. Uh, We are going to be in page 866 if you are in those Bibles, or if you're in your app, I just ask that you follow along. So, glasses. Here we go. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah... From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, of from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border." Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which delay not for a man, nor wait for the children of man. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations, in the midst of many peoples, like a lion amongst the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which when it goes through, treads down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver." Your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. And in that day, declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you and will destroy your chariots. And I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down all your strongholds. And I will cut off sorceries from your hand, and you shall have no more tellers of fortune. And I will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you. And you shall bow down no more to the work of your hands. And I will root out your Asherah images from among you and destroy your cities. And in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Ah, come on. We got to do better than that. Got an extra hour of sleep last night. By the way, the answer to that question is really easy. We keep daylight savings time. Hear me out. We ditch standard time. No time change, just, just keep the extra hour later in the day. That's my, that's my vote, but anyway. Uh, and that is the right vote, but if you disagree with me, that's okay. Uh, anyway, a uh, couple, couple quick things. Uh, if you hang out with Genesis, you know that everything that we do is in our green folder, and there's a QR code for registration. We, like, every week tell you you should jump into that. Scan that QR code, pull up that little website, and just look at all the links of things that are going on. Um, we have a lot of opportunity for people to be involved. And things I'm telling you, you're going to hear another announcement later, but I want to I highlight real quick two things that are super important. The first is for everybody. Next Saturday, listen, it is a, a core value that we are a praying church. We have a fabulous prayer team. They are awesome. They are rock stars. They, they do a great job in making sure that we do the most important thing we can do. 
I do not want to be a church that depends on how good Mike's gifts or the gifts of our elders. We really want to see this church be what only God can do. And that happens when we pray. And so once a quarter, we have a prayer breakfast. They have a really creative one scheduled for us on Saturday. So it's, it's, it's fun and entertaining. And like, if you're like, I've never prayed out loud, don't worry about it. it. It will be a format and a framework that you will feel comfortable. They always have a good breakfast. And so make sure you, like, you need to register for that one uh, today so that they know who else is coming and, and know how to plan for that. And then, fellas, listen to me. If you are a married guy in the room, Married ladies, you can listen to and hit them in the ribs. Uh, we have a really, really fun night scheduled for, for two weeks from now, two weeks from last night, uh, where we're doing a, a couple's date night, a marriage date night. Uh, we're going to Dogwood Social House, which is a big, fun, like, entertainment stuff. You get to throw axes with your spouse, not at your spouse, with your spouse. And we're going to have a contest. It's just going to be a fun evening of a meal, a lot of fun and games with a lot of other married couples. And then we'll spend a little bit of time uh, just doing a little bit of teaching. We're going to look at, if you've never interacted with the material, the five love languages and what it looks like to love your spouse well by knowing how he or she gives and receives love. And so uh, register for that. The price for that actually jumps $20 after today. So if you don't get registered today and try to register tomorrow, it's going to cost you 20 bucks more. So make sure you jump on uh, those two things and, and be a part of those and just all the other stuff that's going on. There will be more at the end of service. There's always a lot of good things happening at Genesis. God has graced us with a lot of opportunities. It's, it's happened. And I... I'm not happy. Someone who's going to remain nameless today has been singing Christmas music in my house. <laughs> not, not, not cool. My, we, we, we have a trainer over here who's going to not have a date tonight, it looks like. Uh, humming Christmas, like already Hallmark movies. Come on, Really? And, and, and I drove by a place, like the whole Christmas light display is up. It ain't right. Just ain't right. I'm, I'm sorry. Somebody in our own church even throw something on Twitter. That, you know, hey, I, I, here, I, I am listening to Christmas music. Here I stand. We, we've got to do church discipline on that person. It, <laughs> like Romans 1 tells us. It's actually clear-ish. That the reason God's wrath comes on humanity is that we just skip right over Thanksgiving. Yeah. Go read it. Romans 1.21. Well, it kind of says that. I, 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 paraphrasing. Uh, the next holiday is Thanksgiving, people. It's not Christmas, okay? Uh, now, now, if you're one of these people who are, like, you've been watching Hallmark movies since July, okay, I, I, I guess. And, but, but see, here's my problem is that I'm actually going to violate my rule preaching a Christmas sermon this morning because we're in Micah at this great passage where he makes this crazy beautiful prediction and you know all of a sudden next thing you know you're humming a little town of Bethlehem in your in your head because you know it fits right with this passage it kind of comes out of this passage in sort of way and uh you know and, and so I don't know maybe maybe today I'll let my guard down and we'll, we'll wrestle with this idea uh, of of Christmas a little bit early. Um, and if you disagree with me, okay. Like, is anybody already listening to Christmas music? Or have I so terrified you that you're like, no way I'm raising my hand right now. Got a few people go holding up their hands. All right, cool. Uh, it's everywhere, you know, every, like already every commercial. The day after, like the, 
on Halloween, up to Halloween, everything's trying to scare the fire out of you. The day after Halloween, they shifted it all to holiday Christmas advertising, right? It's time to get into that. Well, we're going to get into that a little bit this morning. Uh, but, but what I want to do this morning is show you from this passage, like something amazing happens in Micah 5. That if you grew up in church, you just kind of read it, you just kind of gloss over it. But it fits with the whole idea, this whole genre of prophetic literature uh, that all the prophets start painting a picture of something and giving us like clear details in the beauty of this. And so, like I said, a little town of Bethlehem, that, that, that song actually was written uh, by a guy uh, whose name is Phillips Brooks in 1868. And a friend of his, he was a poet, uh, a friend of his named Lewis, uh, let's see, Lewis Redner wrote a tune that they put it in. Does anybody know what the name is? Here's a little trivia for you. Uh, does anybody know the name of the tune that we sing the poem, A Little Town of Bethlehem, to? I found that this out this week. The name of the tune is St. Louis. So when you sing A Little Town of Bethlehem, you were singing the tune St. Louis. That's kind of cool, right? Uh, so, so if you start singing that today, uh, I guess so be it. But uh, it takes us to this beautiful text that we just read where, where Micah makes a prediction about the little town of Bethlehem uh, and, and the events that happen in this are just beautiful. And, and what we want to do today is wrestle a little bit with what Micah says in the whole text this morning, but we want to connect it to this beautiful idea that God has chosen to reveal his beauty by speaking through these prophets. In Micah's case, over 700 years before Jesus is born, to lay out the beautiful picture of the life of our Redeemer and Messiah. So much so that what happens as you read the Bible, as you read the scriptures, as you interact with the whole big overarching story of the Bible, you see this, this difficult theme of our utter brokenness. That it starts with Adam and Eve and the first two people in the garden who, who, who decide they want to be their own God and not worship God and now they are wrecked. The world around them is devastating. They can't remedy their condition, nor can they stand against the evil in the world. Yet from the very, so, so that theme is everywhere, and we see it over and over again. We keep thinking every person in the Bible is going to be the hero, and they're not. They're, they're awful, but they also live in a situation which they can't overcome. And all through the scriptures, then, there are whispers that turn into shouts of the promise of one person who is coming. And the Bible, like the story of the Bible, begins to build its hope on that. And it becomes so beautiful and clear so that all of these prophetic books, these books that are written uh, by these, these people called the prophets, books like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, uh, you know, Hosea, uh, Joel, Micah, are filled with all these prophetic words of judgment and brokenness and justice and God's need to deal with his people and deal with the brokenness and the promises that he will make things right. Yet, every one of these prophets, every single one, adds to the predictions and promises and record of the promise of one. And here's the thing that I want you to hear. Like, if you forget everything else and remember this, you get the sermon. The record of the prophets written between 
eight or 900 years and 400 years before the coming of Jesus. If we started mining those passages, you could give a full orbed biography of the life of Jesus. And it all happens before he's born. It, it's, it's just crazy how deep these things are. And I'm not gonna give you all of them today. This is a simple Google search. You can start finding these things. That the Bible is chock full of very clear predictions of a single human life coming sometime in the future from the perspective of these people. They don't know how far out it is, but this single human life, we, we get the record of, of the, the type of pregnancy his mom will have, the fact that she's gonna be a virgin, the way he is uh, where he's going to be born, uh, the, the events around his birth, the fact that he, his family will have to flee to Egypt because of a crisis in the land, the fact that they will return, the name of the region where he will grow up uh, and, and kind of his, his growing up years. We will find out all about his, his life and ministry. We will learn about his teaching and the, the, the sort of teaching, the sort of things he will do, the way he will care for the poor, broken, and marginalized, the way he will start doing healings. I mean, all of this stuff. We have... Uh, several, and very specifically Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, which vividly describe the cross of Jesus Christ. And then we have passages that tell us that this person who was dead is going to be alive. And this all happens hundreds of years before anybody is born in a little town of Bethlehem. That God has tried to, like, like beautifully shown us. I, I was hanging out with my, my girls this week, and one of my daughters, Mary, uh, looked at me and said, Dad, how do we know? How, like, how do we know that our faith is real? There's so many different religions and, and people have all these arguments against our faith. How do we know? And there's a lot of answers to that question, but one of them is this. You need to know that in this passage, we are reading it this morning. You need to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, not the voice of Micah. You need to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking out of his pages going, hey, this is me. Nobody else could pull this off. This text can't be in the Bible and can't come true the way it is unless there's a God orchestrating the events of history and orchestrating the events of Jesus' life well before he comes into the world. It's amazing. And, and, and so here we go. Let, let me just frame the text for you uh, because I really want to center on this, but I want you to understand the whole flow of the text. Uh, Micah chapter 5, verse 1 is Micah continuing what's called an oracle of judgment, where he is literally telling Israel that there are going to be these kingdoms who come and conquer them because they, as God's people, have rejected God's kingship over them. God has been faithful. He has been patient. He has been kind. But Micah, as the prophet, has, has said to them, he's built a case. That's what the whole story, if you've been with us this whole sermon series. We're preaching through this old, like 700 plus years before the time of Jesus' prophetic book of Micah in the Old Testament. And, and he has said over and over again, here are the accusations. You were supposed to be transformed by the glory of this covenant relationship you had with the one true and living God, but you have become worse than the nations around you. And now Assyria and later Babylon, these two great empires are coming against you. And, and verse one, he literally, the language says, gather your troops. Now, don't be offended here, but, but there is something. He says, gather your troops, O daughter of troops. In other words, he's literally using this language that says, when you go fight against Assyria, it's gonna be like you're sitting 
an army of women out to fight against a mighty battle armor of men. Israel, in your strength, you have no hope. You, you can't win this battle. Go fight them if you want to. You, you, you can't win. When Babylon and Assyria come against you, you can't fight. The only way out is if God acts. And see, what happens, Micah alludes to it, the storyline of the Bible actually shows us when Assyria comes, they'd already conquered what was called the northern kingdom, but now there's a second wave. They're going to come against the southern kingdom. The king of Israel, a guy named Hezekiah, turns to the Lord, repents, calls the nation to repentance, and God rescues them. They are not able to fight this battle against Assyria, but God rescues them. Yet Micah warns them that there's another kingdom that's going to come named Babylon. And when Babylon comes, like this moment of repentance is not going to turn into a long season of faithfulness for Israel. And Babylon is eventually going to come. And Micah, a hundred years before it happens, starts calling them by name, this prophetic word. And, and he says, listen, you can't remedy this. And this is reminding us here today that here's our problem, that first of all, the brokenness that is in my own heart, I can't remedy it. And I can't overcome the enemies and the wickedness and the brokenness in the world. Like, I feel helpless against that. So where is the hope that we have in the world rooted? And this is where Micah then jumps into this beautiful prediction from you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah. From you will come a king. And this beautiful prediction, not only of where Jesus would be born, but what will happen. And then what happens is in the flow of the text, he says there are going to be kind of two outcomes of the kingship of Jesus. When, when this person is revealed, what will happen? And he shares two outcomes. And he talks a lot, and you can go read this, he talks a lot about a remnant. It's this group of people who are raised up because of this, who are authentic followers of Jesus. But he says this remnant is not just going to end up in Israel. This remnant is going to spread out across the earth. And nothing that happens against this remnant can stop what they do. They're going to be like a lion ravaging their enemies. Nothing can stop it. Now, that sounds like a military campaign until we read the New Testament. We understand in the New Testament, the book of Acts is that story. The mission of Christ's church. We just, like that last song, praise the Father. The church was born. The spirit fell. And nothing, nothing, nothing can stop the remnant, those who have trusted in Christ, who are going on mission. No evil regime. No army. No empire. Communism and socialism. I don't care what it is who tries to say Christianity can't be done here. And the gospel will go forth. And God's mission will be accomplished Nothing stopping the remnant. But then he says this, he has all this, and the Lord says, and I will cut off, and he starts listening, sorceries and idolatry, and, and what he does is he looks at all the things that Israel's being judged for. You depend on your army, you depend on your treaties, you depend on yourselves, you, do, you, you have fallen into sorcery, you have fallen into idolatry, you have fallen into all these practices, and here's what God says, because the king has come. When this happens, he's going to cut that out. It's a picture of the glorious holiness of God's people. Before Christ, they can't figure it out, but he's going to send his spirit, transform lives. And from the inside out, God is going to redeem and transform his people so that those who have trusted in him are going to become more and more like him and that the church will look like Christ. And the promise of that is what happens. This is the flow of the text but in the middle of it, there's this crazy promise from you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah. Look at it again. Micah 5. It just, 
It's beautiful. Verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. Do you hear, O little town of Bethlehem? Who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who was in labor has given birth. Now, just real quick, what's he saying? Israel, when Babylon comes, you are going to be under foreign rule, and your hopelessness is going to feel real until... Somebody has a baby. Till somebody has a baby. Goes on to say, verse 4, verse 3. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. What's he promising? The return of people who come. Now, is, you know, the, the last chapter was about this restoration where Jerusalem was made high and people return. And now he's saying that's going to happen when this king is revealed that God is going to redeem a people from all the nations and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure for now. He shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. He shall be their peace. Here's what Micah is saying. Micah is saying in the midst of the mess that is your lives and the world around you, Israel, in the midst of the brokenness of 7th century B.C. And oh, by the way, the midst of the, the 20. First century AD mess of the world and of our lives, there is the promise of a king. And that king is going to come. And then he says in Bethlehem, and we like we are just so comfortable with this, we don't get how nuts that is. Like he doesn't say from you, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, oh little town. In fact, he says in the text, uh, who are too little, too little be numbered among the clans. Uh, what that is is a phrase of looking at a town that's, it, it's actually the word a thousand, but he's like, any town that's like 500 to a thousand people or a little more is like a clan town. So it's, it's, it's a village. You're too small to be, even be called a small town. Bethlehem. We, 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 we tend to forget that this is not what they were expecting and what you would think. I mean, imagine a, a prophet, like it, it was 20, like weird that day, okay? And here comes a prophet, and I, like maybe I'm the prophet, and I'm standing up here and I'm proclaiming, and I'm gonna tell you, all right, our hope is coming. And we're gonna picture it kind of in St. Louis terms, okay? And if you were to think about where would this great king, this ruler who would usher in God's kingdom, where would this person come from if that person was born in the St. Louis area? Maybe, maybe we would say the arch, right? That, 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 that the king would come from underneath the arch, like born right there. Or maybe Mercy Hospital or, or BJC, like one of the great hospitals. Maybe downtown somewhere. Maybe, maybe like the middle of Bush Stadium, right? Clayton, Chesterfield. But if somebody stood up and started preaching and said, all right, here's where this Messiah, this great king is going to come from Robertsville. We'd be like, like, come again? Dittmer. Where? Nothing happens in Dittmer. I used to laugh at this, and if you've, I've, I've used this illustration before, days gone by. There, did you know there's a Dittmer Catawissa Road that starts in nowhere and ends in nowhere? Dittmer is not on one end, Catawissa is not on the other, and it makes no sense to me. 
Bethlehem is this little bitty village. It's a nothing village. It is a shepherding village. It's a place where a few shepherds live and graze their sheep in a hilly region that is six miles outside of Jerusalem. Now, we now think, oh, six miles, that's a suburb. Not when you walk everywhere, okay? Uh, it, it's, it's, it's way out of the, 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 the uh, way from Jerusalem when a six-mile walk over several hills is the way to get there. Like, it's, it's a several-hour walk to get to Jerusalem to go to the temple. This is not a suburb. This is a little bitty redneck village. Yeah, they, they, you know, they're listening to country music. Uh, they, 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 you know, they are all into their world, uh, but it, it's not even big enough to be called a small town. And all that goes on there is, bah, that's it. What'd you do last night? Watch sheep. What are you doing tonight? Taking my wife or having a date to watch sheep. That, like, that's it. It, it, the Messiah should have come from Jerusalem. The, 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 the political and economic and religious center of Israel. Maybe Jericho just to the west, which is right down the major uh, economic thoroughfare that is in, in there that runs right next to the river and this well-known town that has a lot of commerce. But Bethlehem, are, are, are you crazy? Micah, you need to rethink this, bro. I know you think you're hearing from God, but this is not the place where this Messiah is gonna come. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah. See, he is joining in the witness of the prophetic word that begins in the third chapter of the Bible. In the third chapter of the Bible, here's this two, first two people, Adam and Eve. If you're not familiar with the story, it all starts with two people that God creates and he blesses them. He has this beautiful relationship, but they are tempted and the temptation they're given is you don't have to listen to God. You can be your own God. You can live for your own truths, your own mandates. Do life your way. And Adam and Eve eat the fruit, but the issue is not a bite of an apple or a peach. The issue is that they are looking at God saying, we want to do life on our own. We're going to do it our way. We don't want a God. We're going to be God. And see, this, if, if we were to pare back the whole Bible to one central statement, it is this. The core reality of the universe is that there is a God. I am not him. And the core problem is that I want, the, I want to rephrase that say, there is a God. I'm going to do all I can to be him. I want to be my own God and run my own life. And so the, everything is broken in chapter 3 of the Bible, Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve rebel against God, and now they are twisted. The world around them is broken. This whole problem that runs all through the Bible that we've been talking about starts there. And before God pronounces a curse on Eve or a curse on Adam, he looks at the serpent. He looks at the tempter, this, this, this picture of uh, uh, evil in the garden. And in Genesis 3, 15, 14 and 15, God's speaking to the tempter, to the, the external source of temptation and evil in the garden. And, and he says this, then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring, singular, and her offspring, singular. He, not they, he shall bruise your head. 
and you shall bruise his heel. Before God looks at Adam and says, here's the curse, here's the outcome of, of your severed relationship with God. Before he looks at Eve and says, here's what's gonna happen because you have broken relationship with God. God looks at the evil itself and says, here's what's happening. There's going to be an offspring of this woman, one person who one day is gonna come. And, and, and evil, you're gonna strike his heel. You're gonna attack, you're gonna go after him. But when you do this, he is going to crush your head. This is the first gospel. The first time the prophetic witness says the hope of humanity is in one offspring, one person coming from the one, and one promised individual. That's the first one. And then you start reading the Old Testament, and they just keep showing up. They just keep showing up. More and more people who begin to share this this core reality of this coming one that the world is broken they're a hot mess everything's going sideways but in the midst of this there are these moments where the prophets then say oh but our hope is in God sending our rescuer Moses tells us that there will be a prophet like me but greater than me that will come. The Psalms start singing about him. The story in the Old Testament, we see the raise up of different kings, and they are all failures, but there is this one king, one king that will be born. And David comes along like this, this kind of penultimate king is a picture of this, but he's a broken, messed up dude. But because of his love and faithfulness, his quickness to repent, God makes a covenant with him, a huge, huge promise that he makes to this King David in the Old Testament that's about a thousand years before the coming of Jesus. And God promises him that, listen, David, through your family tree, through your seed, this this offspring of the woman is coming through you. And, and he won't just be an ordinary person. He will be the king we need. The king we need. He, he, he will be this beautiful, eternal king who, who will rule and usher in a beautiful, eternal kingdom. And he will sit on an eternal throne. The promise to David that this one would come through his family and he would usher in God's kingdom in a way that would be visible and beautiful and, and change the metrics of the world. And every king that's born in the line of David after, the, the question is, is this the guy? And he very quickly proves he's not. Broken, messed up, jacked up. Yet God sustains David's family tree on the throne for generations. But then the Psalms and the prophets begin to understand what was promised. And the prophets begin to picture the coming of this one seed, this one offspring, this, this one person. Isaiah 7, 14, one, I mean, I'm just reading a few. There's over a hundred of these in the scriptures. 
passages where the prophets are talking about the world around and Israel and the brokenness that's going on and God's justice and judgment, yet his patience and kindness. And then all of a sudden the prophet's chin gets lifted up to see a reality that they don't fully understand of a single person that's coming. And they will throw out a prediction, an idea, a picture, an image of the coming of this person over a hundred times in the Old Testament. Isaiah's having one of these moments where in Isaiah 7.14, he tells us this, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. He, he, a chapter later is, is speaking again. He says, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and, 6 and 7, for unto us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government shall be again uh, upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of pre- Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Here's Isaiah, contemporary of Micah, 700, over 700 years before Jesus is born, saying, listen, a virgin's gonna have a baby. And when that virgin has a baby, he will be that king. He will be wonderful, counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. Uh, his government will keep growing and will never end. This kingdom will come upon his entrance into the world. Here is this promise of this beautiful, wonderful king. And Isaiah keeps prophesying and Zechariah tells us he's going to come into the temple. And I, I mean, just over and over and over these amazing bites of information on the tongues of the prophets, painting a picture of a single offspring, one solitary human life, but that is going to usher in God's kingdom and change the metrics of the way God deals with humanity. This goes on for several hundred years, and then 400 years before the birth of Christ, the prophets go silent. And now they wait. Now they wait. For 400 years, there's no prophet in Israel. But then one day, an angel shows up to a virgin. Says, you, you, you have been faithful and the Lord has looked on you with favor, oh sweet girl. And God is going to do something in you that is insane. That single offspring is going to be your child. Her husband, betrothed husband, can't make sense of his pregnant fiance. They haven't been together, and so he's devastated. But instead of shaming her or even executing her, which was his right at that time, He decides to put her away silently, but the angel shows up to him and says, listen, she's telling you the truth. I was laughing this week. Uh, I was listening to a podcast where a a guy that I really like to listen to was interviewing a woman who's like a charismatic, uh, so she believes in speaking tongues and all the gifts and prophecy and all this sort of stuff. And they were talking about the different views, and one of the views is cessationism. Uh, This is just to build my story. Beyond this, it doesn't matter in the sermon, but cessationism is this view that the, these supernatural gifts have ended. 
And this woman was not a cessationist. She was charismatic. Like she was into prophecy and speaking in tongues and all this sort of stuff. And they were having this conversation. But they got to this point. They were talking about the virgin birth. And she said, I had this conversation with my daughter the other day, my 14-year-old daughter. And she said, I told her this. She says, when it comes to virgin births on that miraculous gift, I am a cessationist. <laughs> it's only going to happen once. So please do not come home and say, really, mom, it's like Mary. No, it's not. So it's not happening again. One virgin got to come home and tell their parents, it's the Holy Spirit. And she was telling the truth. The rest are not, right? Okay. And so here's Joseph and God speaks to Joseph. And, and all of a sudden he is in, he's like, whatever it takes. And, but, but, but they're in Nazareth. They're in Northern Israel. It, it, like, it looks like baby Jesus is going to be born there, right? It looks like baby Jesus is going to be born there. And then all of a sudden something happens that changes. Like they're in together. But in Luke chapter 2, we have Linus verse. Linus verse, right? I love Linus. He starts the whole Charlie Brown Christmas by saying, I can't be in the play, Charlie Brown. I can't memorize lines. And then he walks out on stage, and in the King James Version, quotes verbatim Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Like, Nobody in this room has that memorized. Linus did. It's amazing. And here it is, not in the King James. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Oh, little town of Bethlehem because it was the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to his firstborn son, wrapped him in swollen cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the end. Now, what we have here is this beautiful story. It says, Micah, 700 years, said Bethlehem. And then we go, yeah, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But do you realize what happened to get them there? Do you realize, like, have you paid attention to what took place? Who is this Caesar Augustus chap? Well, if you've studied history, you will realize that he's probably one of the four or five most important people that lived in all of human history, not named Jesus. His name's Octavius. He battled Mark Anthony and Cleopatra at the Battle of Actium and unified the Roman Empire under one emperor. He is the first emperor of the Roman Empire, unifying Rome for an a, a empire that will stand for 500 years. He's the guy. And God goes pawn in my hand, pawn in my hand. Through, through Micah the prophet, I said, my, my redeemer, my son is going to be born in Bethlehem. Hey, Octavius, Caesar Augustus, why don't you be greedy? I, hey, we're going to issue a decree. I'm going to census everybody because I'm not going to miss a dime in taxes for Rome. And that decree comes to Bethlehem, and here's Mary and Joseph devastated. What do they do? What do they do? Joseph has to go to Bethlehem. He, like, the most powerful person, like Darth Vader, has said, you go to Bethlehem. You, you don't say no. And so they go together. It, it, it was the single most powerful person on planet Earth that caused Mary and Joseph to make this trip. And God says, rulers of the earth are like, 
water in my palm. I make them go wherever I want them to. And they show up, we have a little town of Bethlehem. We have shepherds who live in this town are the first ones who hear the good news. We have magi who make a track Matthew 2. And when they're making the truck following the star, they get to Jerusalem. And check this out. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. They, they followed this star Way too much to get into all the details, and we don't know for sure all that went on here, but here's these guys who are outsiders. They're not Jews. They're from Persia, more than likely, coming and following this star as they come because they believe that the, the appearance of this star signified the birth of a great leader. And so they come to Jerusalem, and they ask a simple question. Assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, and guess what, what they go find? In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. What's he quoting? Micah 5. Here's the, the Jewish scribe, the scholar, the Bible teacher who says, where's, the, babe, the, where's the, the king gonna be born? And he pulls out the scroll of Micah and he quotes, he paraphrases Micah 5, what we just read. What's, what's crazy and sad in this story is that the Magi, the outsiders who don't know the history, go to the nativity scene. But the Jewish Bible scholars who have the scriptures don't. Don't. But oh, little town of Bethlehem, Micah predicts it. The promise comes true. The whole story shows us that God orchestrates the events of history to accomplish what he promised would happen and that this Jesus who comes into the world is the promised one. He is the promised one. Listen, I don't know where you're at today, what your struggles, where you're hurting, but I know we come in here knowing that our own lives are a hot mess. And the world around us seems out of control. And so what God has chosen to do in his, for his glory and for our good is to speak through Micah and the other prophets like him to go, I got this. I'm orchestrating the events of history to accomplish my purpose. And he has sent a better king. He has sent a better king into the world. His name is Jesus. And while personally, I will start playing the music on the way home from Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> For the follower of Jesus, the hope of Christmas is every day. It's every day. What does this do? For, like, what does this passage, it's I'm telling you, it's shockingly glorious that God would speak through Micah and he would say, judgment, justice, you're a mess. 
there's a redeemer and that he would call out Bethlehem as the birthplace. It is shocking and glorious and beautiful. It is something that gives us assurance of, of a couple things. First of all, let me tell you what this does for us. It shows us the authority of the Bible. It shows us the authority of God's word. It shows us that, that the text of scripture, this Bible that we read is not just some human book about God, that God is literally orchestrating and speaking through. Like this is inspired. This is Micah, Isaiah, none of these guys could have pulled this off. This is not somebody that's somebody sitting who just being really smart can figure out how to predict these promises. It shows us that when I pick up the Bible, yes, I'm reading human words. Micah matters. He's a real person living in history. And the way to understand what God is saying is by reading his words and doing all we can to interpret it in their moment and then pulling it to ours and, and understanding what it says. But it reminds us that, that these words, while they are human words, are also divinely inspired. That every word of your Bible, every word of your Bible has the authority of the God who created the universe and you can trust it. God is in the pages. This isn't the only way. There's actually all kinds of ways that God shows up in the pages. But there are moments where we should pause and read it and, and stop being Christians who've been Christians all of our life who were just like Bethlehem. I knew that. I, I, I knew the quiz. We should stop and go, oh my goodness. Look at this. This is insane. God, only God, the true and living God could pull this off. His word is chalked full of God in the pages going, hey, this is me here. So, so if you're a follower of Jesus, know this. The only way to learn his voice is to get your nose in the book. Listen, if all you're doing is showing up on a Sunday morning and letting me talk to you for a few minutes, and about halfway through going, When's he going to stop? Which I know, I do it every week. I'm up here going, when am I going to stop? I get it, okay? <laughs> and you were never opening this beautiful word from the Lord for yourself. This is the word of the living God, and he has proved it through the pen and the voice of Micah in this text the authority of the Bible, but it also points us, it shows us the authenticity of Jesus as the Messiah. Over 100 different prophecies and prophetic ideas in the scriptures, all saying, here's where he's gonna be born, here's what he's gonna look like, here's what his life is gonna be like. Here's what, like people, some people have come along and said, well, you know what? Jesus kind of did this himself. He worked it out so that, how do you choose where you're gonna be born? Like, are you, like sending mom a text from the inside going, hey, go to Bethlehem. That's where I want to be born. Like, that's not possible. God put the word in the mouths of the prophets to paint a picture of a solitary human life so that when he showed up, we would know. We would know. We could look at both the Old Testament and the prophecies and the New Testament and the story. And believe it or not, every one of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are all saying, here's the guy. God's been saying for a thousand years he was coming. There he is. This is what it looks like. This, this is what the prophecies say. I love this moment. I love this moment in the New Testament where Jesus shows up in his hometown. He goes back to where he grew up, Nazareth. 
They're like, oh, our, our cute little teenage boy has grown up and he grew up here. We, we like him, but now he's got all these people following. Let's have him come back and preach a sermon here. So he comes back to, to, to uh, uh, the, the town of Nazareth and he's preaching in the synagogue. He's kind of doing what I'm doing up here where he grabs a scroll and he finds Isaiah chapter 61 and this amazing passage uh, in, uh, out of Isaiah 61 where he says um, this, the spirit of the Lord, that he's quoting Isaiah 61. Jesus is reading from a scroll. He says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the liberty of the captives and recovery of sight of, to the blind and set a liberty, at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And everybody knew, everybody knew Isaiah 61 was one of those predictions. This was not for everybody in Israel. This was the promise that when he shows up, we're going to know who he is because this is what he does. This is what the Messiah is going to do. And, and what had happened is for 700 years, people had opened a scroll of Isaiah. They had read it and said, someday, 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 this king is coming. Someday the Messiah will be among us. Someday this is going to happen. Oh, can't we wait? Aren't we looking forward to this, right? Jesus reads it. You know what he says? He looks at him and he says, today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, it's happened. I am he. Oh, the beauty of Jesus in the Bible. Oh, the wonder of a Savior who has come and is enough. Who has given us a way to relate to God. And I love this text. He, he says, one who will be Micah, one who will be ruler it is a painting of the beauty that Jesus is this amazing king who rules. The king has come. See, this is what we need. What do we need here today? What do you need today? You've tried to be king of your own life. On one level, you think, I got this. We, we live in a world, rugged individualism, uh, our sense of identity I am who I claim I am. I'm, I'm pursuing my own path, my own way of living in the world. The way to, to make the most of life is for me to figure out authenticity so that I can be who I am. That is me raising the flag of my own kingship in my, my own life. And at the same time we are doing that, we are saying more and more that is leaving us broken. It doesn't work. I'm a lousy king of my own life. I was reminded this of y this yesterday. I cannot be trusted in a house where there's leftover Reese's candy. <laughs> Cannot be trusted. Somebody tried to hide it. Not good. <laughs> My son's disappointed in me today. Looks like I'm buying more Reese's trees. I'm a lousy king of my own life, okay? And so are you. And here, here the promise is, there's a better king. There's a better king. Oh, look to him. Hold on to him. He, he's a better king. But I love the language here. Look at it again, verses 2 through 5. Just look at verse 4. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. He is a better king, but you know what else he is? He's a shepherd who cares. 
He's a shepherd king. Which is one of the reasons God chose Bethlehem. Because the first shepherd king came from here, David. But he didn't choose a royal village, he chose a shepherding village. What does it mean for Jesus to be a shepherd king? It means he never gives up. He, he, he's the one who leaves the 99 sheep to go find the one who is strayed. He, he knows that we make a mess of our lives. In fact, I, you may have seen this online, but I think this is the greatest video of the truthfulness of the Christian life I've ever seen. And it's about a sheep. Check this out. Is it going to work? there for a second. All right, we're going to start. Do we have it? There we go. Can I get an amen? Okay. There it is. And we have the shepherd who never gives up. I, I love that video because it's not just that he fell back in. That thing takes off and goes airborne to jump back in, a, in, in the ditch, right? Christ is the king we need, but he is the shepherd who cares, who, who never gives up on you, who keeps pursuing you, who keeps finding you and bringing you home. And so, so today, Micah lifts our chins to see this, right? He reminds us a little town of Bethlehem. That, that, that the promise was that. And so we're, we're going to sing to Jesus. I don't think we're singing Christmas music yet. Um, but, but we are going to sing music that lifts our chin to see him so that we can reorient, reorient our lives to be reminded of the beauty of our Savior who was promised long ago, who lived in history, who died on the cross for our sins, and, and, and who rose again. So, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by, yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above. While mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wondering love. O morning stars together, Proclaim the holy birth and praise the sing to God the King and peace to men on earth. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the, the dear Christ enters in. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels and great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us. Abide with us. Our Lord Emmanuel. If you're here today and you don't know this Jesus, don't leave here without letting us talk and pray with you. At the end of the service or during the, the last song, we'll have people over here ready. You can come either during that song or at the end of the service. Come let us pray with you and talk to you about who Jesus is. Point you to the hope that we have of a better king, a good shepherd. But if you're here today and you're hurting and you just need prayer, we would love to pray with you. We're going to sing together and lift our chin to see 
the beauty of Jesus together and give thanks this morning for that. We, we collect an offering. Our offering is not, if you're a guest with us, it's not for you. It is for those who are part of Genesis to give back because we've been so richly blessed. But let's do this together. Lord, we praise you today and thank you for your kindness to us. And the beautiful picture in your word of the coming one and then the fact that Jesus showed up and he was everything you promised. We thank you for the fact that this gives us assurance and hope. In your name we pray, amen.